The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, we have Josh Plave, who is the founder of Walter Maine. He's an apartment investor and operator with over 1,500 units in the country. Um, he knows a lot about retirement accounts and some cool things you could do in that space. And I know retirement is not the, the coolest topic. I think once you learn about what's possible with retirement accounts and how you can leverage these structures to make good returns in real estate and have great estate planning and, and tax preparation that I think you'll you'll find it as exciting as Josh and I have. But first, Josh, where are you from? Uh, I am from Rockville, Maryland. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm from I'm from Potomac, from down the street. But uh, where did you go to high school? I went to Wooten High School. Hmm, Wooten. I don't know if I've heard of that high school, you know, because they're not like the most, not the most relevant. But actually, I think I think it jogs my memory. But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We played them in the state finals of uh the the Maryland state finals for hockey, and I'm uh, pretty sure. Pretty sure they, they didn't win. Pretty sure they lost pretty pretty bad to Churchill. That's uh, you know, not my business. We won when I was there, so I graduated uh, okay. as a senior. We won that year. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I guess uh, both get the glory of the states, but um, I think I think we know we know which one's better now, and and uh, I think we know it's Churchill. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, cool. So um, yeah. Back to back to uh, real estate. What was your first milestone in real estate? What was that? What was your first milestone in real estate? First milestone in real estate. Um, that one. Let's see. Um, I was probably when I when I first got started, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of I had the opportunity. I was still working to to figure out um, which sector I wanted to jump into. And I knew I didn't want to kind of like dilly dally and go from place to you know sector to sector, sector. So um, I knew I wanted to get involved in multifamily eventually. Um, but I realized that was going to take some time to actually uh, get started. Um, so I actually ended up doing some private money loans, was using my IRAs at the time. Um, and yeah, I was able to loan to some flippers that I uh, was friends with who were working up in Boston where I went to school. And uh, it worked out pretty well. It was a fun project. Um, did like two or three of them at that time. And they all paid out within about a year or two. It was good. Wow. So that's really interesting. Out of anyone on the on the podcast, I don't think I've had anyone who started in debt side. That's not what people first think about when they think about real estate investments. That's really interesting that that's where you started. And I've also hadn't heard of many people starting with their IRA. So I guess, how did you learn about this possibility? And, uh, you know, what, how, how did you decide that that was the, the place to start? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I kind of, I guess to kind of like introduce how, I mean, I'm only 32. 
Um, but I've been using IRAs and retirement accounts for about half of my life. So why have I gotten involved in retirement accounts, you know, relatively young age? Uh, so when I was 16 years old, um, I was working a summer job. I was working at Landon um, uh, <laughs> School as well in in, uh, in Maryland. And uh, I had a, you know, I was cut like a grand or two from that summer job. And my mother and my grandfather were both CPAs. So they were always telling me about, you know, different ways to invest and um, trying to keep my mind on top of all that. And so I ended up opening up a Roth IRA at that time. And I put all the... Um, the, the earnings I had from that summer into that Roth IRA and started investing from there. Um, so I've been contributing to it ever since and growing it along the way. So it's been pretty powerful. Um, but kind of fast forward about 10 years from then, my mother and my grandfather, who I had mentioned, they unfortunately had both passed away. And so what they did was they left me and my sisters with their retirement accounts that they had kind of been earning for their whole lives. It wasn't like a life-changing amount of money, but it was enough that I needed to make sure um, I was going to be a good steward of it. I was going to put it into an investment that wasn't like the, the coolest, sexiest thing at the time. It was something that I understood and knew well. And so when I was figuring out how to deploy them, uh, I ended up gaining a lot of knowledge on how to use what's called self-directed IRA accounts, which we'll talk about. Um, and once I got a, I figured all of that out, I realized I needed, that's why I ended up in private money lending. I realized I needed some more, you know, short to medium term um opportunities to kind of bridge the gap in between, you know, me learning more about multifamily and getting involved in something that's more long-term, which, you know, multifamily is usually three to like a seven year hold. Uh, so I knew I needed something interim before I got there. Wow. Well, that's really astute and interesting. Cause um, I know that learning is obviously very important because preservation of capital is the number one key to this, you know, don't lose, don't lose money. Um, as Warren Buffett would say, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that I'm glad that you decided to, you know, make some yield rather than just hold cash, which might be the, the first instinct, um, because you still have to know something about private money lending. But I guess at that point, you like, this guy looks like he knows what he's doing. I trust him to give me my money back, um, earn, a, earn a modest yield, and um, so, and sounds like a good game plan. Yeah, it went well. Um, <clears throat> there was, like I said, I think... One of the deals went normally, the other one bled into a second deal. Um, but it, you know, all worked out in the end, got about 12% on those. That's what the interest rate was on the, the notes. Um, big fan of it. I think it's a great fit for awesome. IRAs. So people, some people are worried about real estate investing because they don't want to do anything. Um, sounds like you all you had to do was give them the money, didn't have to do very much during it. And you definitely beat that average 7% you get in the stock market with 12%. So, um, yeah, no, as long as you find a good operator who you trust, um, it's a good option. Yeah. So just wanted to hit, hit the point that real estate can be passive too, but we're definitely going to get into that when talking about, um, in, uh, investment accounts and, and whatnot. Um, did want to mention that I met Josh at the multifamily investors conference in Charlotte in June of 2022. Um, and yeah, we, we, uh, how did how did you figure out that we we went from the we're from the same same uh, same town? I think it's usually that well, I say I'm originally from DC and you said the same and right. kind of start to whittle your way down into like where you're actually from. Awesome, yeah. So definitely a good conversation, and I'm I'm glad to continue it and uh, um bring some of the the things that we've learned from each other to to the masses. So on that note, could you just start by introducing the different types of retirement accounts and a couple of the difference between that? And tell us about 
the distinction between self-directed IRAs. I know a lot of people are familiar with retirement accounts, but self-directed aspect is not something they advertise on TV. Um, you know, it's lesser known. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So there's there's really two main types. Um, the the most well known is probably the 401k. So that's going to be an employer sponsored plan. Um, something that like a they're offering. Um, you can if you're with an employer sponsored plan, you can do about twenty seven thousand dollars of contributions annually. So it's a nice high contribution amount. Um, and it's all tax deferred. So anything you put in uh, doesn't get taxed while you're investing. Um, and then you can take it out. And there's um, there's two different styles of any kind of retirement plan, both for that, that 401k and the IRA, which I'll talk about next. Uh, there's traditional funds. Uh, and so those, the way it's structured is it's pre-tax money. So before it's ever been taxed, it goes directly into a retirement account, whether it's a 401k or an IRA. You grow tax-free while you're in that account. And then when you take the funds out, those distributions are taxed at your income rate at the time. Uh, then there's Roth money. And that's when you pay the taxes today at your tax rate for today, uh, for this year. And then you earn the same way. You earn tax-free while it's in that retirement plan. And then when you take out the distribution at the end, it's completely tax-free and you don't have to worry about taking taxes again a, a second time. Um, so there's the 401k, it's an employer-sponsored plan. And then there's the IRA, which you can sponsor, sorry, you don't sponsor, but no, I guess technically you're sponsoring it. It's your own individual retirement plan. Uh, and you can contribute up to, uh, starting in 2023, it'll be $6,500. Um, and yeah, it's a great little um, method for uh, contributing you know, your own to your own retirement plan. Uh, you can even roll over 401ks into IRAs. Um, and so you can roll back and forth between these two different types of accounts typically. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so the self-directed aspect of that, what, what changes when you have the self-directed distinction? And, you know, some people might be scared with self-directed given it's like, oh, do I have to do all the work now? Um, but really, what does it mean? Yeah, so it's it's like just a marketing term, and I think it misleads a lot of people. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but it's the space I'm in, so I have to call it that. But basically, a self-directed IRA is just the same thing. It's an IRA, but like if you've got an IRA uh, at your usual bank, you know, it's sitting at like Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity, one of those types of places, and their entire brokerage house is set up to focus on equities, um, a lot of ETFs, mutual funds, bonds, stocks, um, but they don't facilitate investments in alternate asset classes. And so a self-directed IRA allows you to do that. It allows you to invest in virtually anything that you want. Whatever you think is a, a proper investment, your IRA can invest in that. So it just needs to be placed with a custodian that allows for those types of things. So Schwab and Fidelity, they don't allow for it, but these custodians that set up the self-directed IRAs, they actually allow for you to invest in virtually anything you want. There's, there's, when they created the IRA, there were only limitations on what you couldn't invest in. So there's life insurance policies, S corporations, and then collectibles like art, jewelry, cars, alcohol, stuff like that. Outside of that, I've heard of people purchasing racehorses, running stud operations. You can do Bitcoin, you can do real estate, um, plenty of other asset classes that you want just for your IRA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And um you know, are the fees different for self-directed or not? Or is there a reason why Charles Schwab doesn't want you to have a self-directed? Well, uh, they don't want you to have self-directed because there's they can make more transactional fees and everything. 
uh, on those those custodial accounts. Um, but when it comes to self-directed IRAs, the cost will be a little higher. Usually you can open up an IRA at one of the larger institutions for free. Um, there's really no, uh, the ease of, the one nice part they have is there's that ease of um, transferring of funds between different institutions. When it's at a custodian, um, there's really two types of accounts which we could talk about. Um, but when it's at a custodian, yeah, you're going to be incurring uh, a small setup fee, somewhere between 100 and maybe two or $300. And then annually, it varies depending on the type of plan you open up. It can range from 150 to $200 flat per year. Uh, or if you've got a really big account and you're at a place that's not doing a flat fee, that can go up to five, six hundred dollars uh, annually. Um, but there's different ways to kind of keep that that down, um, keep the fees minimal. Awesome. So, yeah, let's get into how can you invest in real estate using one of these accounts. Kind of how does the process work? Um, you know, maybe you can set us up like a kind of a a case study example. Um, and uh, I guess the second question to that would be. Could you invest in property that you are owning and operating and managing yourself? Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll start with the kind of the rules around it. There's two real main rules. So there's the um, prohibited transactions rule, and so that dictates what you can and can't invest in. So um, what what I like to kind of describe it as is the IRA and you. You should consider those two different people. Just pretend your IRA is a different person. And you and that person cannot interact. They cannot invest together. Um, so the example I like to give for this is, let's say you want to buy uh, an Airbnb with your IRA. You can totally do that. Um, you can't benefit from your IRA and your IRA can't benefit from you. So what I mean by that is you wouldn't be able to rent that Airbnb from your IRA because you can do one of two things. You can benefit yourself if you decided you were going to rent it for a dollar a night and you're going to get really cheap living accommodations uh, on behalf of your IRA. Mm -hmm. uh, on the flip side, if you decide that you want to rent it out for $10,000 a night, mm. that's a great way to bump up and get past those contribution amounts and bump up you know, the total value of your IRA. So that's also prohibited. So basically, wow. you can't engage in any activity where you are directly in control of that asset and you're running it. You could buy a property and you can... You can be the quarterback. You could be like the GC who, you know, points out what needs to be done, but you can't swing a hammer. You can't provide sweat equity. Uh, it needs to be a property where you're completely hands off and you're not earning any kind of active income on it. It's wholly owned by your IRA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, wow, that's a really, really good example because you can funnel money out of it by getting cheap because you can funnel value out of it by having cheap stays. You can also avoid taxes if you pump money into your, to your Roth that way. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that seems genius, but I guess they, they, they caught, they caught that one. So that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That. <laughs> well, yeah. um, yeah. So yeah, to get a little bit more into that, um, like if I am, could I be a GP on a syndication? If I was a, if I, it was, if it, using my Roth, could I invest into the general partnership or could I only be in limited partnership and could that limited partnership be on my syndication as a GP or does it have to be someone else's syndication? Yeah, so if you're a general partner in an apartment complex or syndication, you you can't use your retirement funds to invest in your own deal. So that's something that I run into. I have to find other operators who I can place my capital with, and then you know they might find uh, 
me uh, to invest their retirement funds with. And you can kind of exchange that way. Um, but yeah, if you're on, if you're earning active income, if you're a general partner and you're earning acquisition fees, asset management fees, any kind of active income, you're not allowed to invest with your retirement account. And there's also uh, not just yourself, but the other rule is uh, disqualified persons. Mm-hmm. And so those people, you're the first one. These are people you can't invest your IRA with. So we talked about that back and forth with the IRA. You can't do the same thing with any linear ascendant or descendant. So you can't actually invest with your parent or your grandparent, your children or your grandchildren, or your spouse. And mm-hmm. so uh, you need to basically think about that. Like if, if they bought an Airbnb with their IRA, you couldn't rent from it. So it's the same kind of system, just with different people. You can do brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, and cousins, anyone beyond that. Um, But like, for example, my dad, he has a lot of retirement accounts and he wants to invest in my deals, but we can't use his retirement accounts to invest in my properties because that's prohibited. So Uh, you avoid that. Yeah. It kind of seems like anyone who you might have a um, inheritance relationship with by by law. Uh, Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, Well, Leah, we can do something cool. That's my sister. So <laughs> might be able to invest in each other's deals, but um, that, so yeah, I would also like to. I'm. It's interesting that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and kind of, we kind of touched on it now. But I'm very curious about um how IRAs get passed on through um you know through estate planning and through wills and um or however one may do it, and uh you know because like there seems like a very the retirement account seems like it's tied to a person. I wonder if like how the tax advantages transfer, how the, um, you know, what aspects of it transfers and um, kind of, yeah, if you could just like touch on that aspect. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been through this. Uh, what happens is um, you, you list a beneficiary on your retirement account. And when you die, the beneficiaries are honored. So it depends on the way that you've, um, you've allocated the distribution or the, the ownership. And let's say it's, Let's just say it's 100% to, to somebody. Uh, so that account then gets transferred into an inherited IRA. And from there, what ends up happening is you automatically have to start taking what are called RMDs, required minimum distributions. Uh, usually you don't have to start taking RMDs if you're the owner of an IRA. You don't have to start taking them until you're 70 and a half years old. Um, but once you pass and your inheritors um, inherit that IRA, the RMDs begin. And you have to, the new rule that actually just got passed a few years ago is that IRA has to be fully distributed within 10 years. So you can mm-hmm. do it in even amounts over 10 years, uh, or you can you can change it up, but it has to be uh, vacated fully uh, within 10 years and, and absorbed by the beneficiary. Okay. Interesting. So um, I know that kind of the idea behind an IRA is that we pay into it now at no tax rate so that we can grow it however much. And then at the end we distribute it. Um, but you know, I guess the, the prototypical example would be, you know, now that we're retired, we're not earning income. So we also have a lower tax rate or a no tax rate there. However, we're a bunch of savvy, sophisticated investors. People listening to this, um, are going to, you know, make sure we're going to own real estate and have cash flow when we're um, retiring. Does that affect, uh, the fact that we have real estate cash flow does that affect our uh, cash, our tax rate from a tax perspective? Um, and then leading into that, kind of, what strategies are there to 
mitigate the, you know, the effects of taxes from that perspective? And, um, you know, just how do you think about that? Yeah. So any distribution uh, gets added into your AGI. So it gets added up before um, any deductions are taken. So if you have cash flow coming in on, let's say the we're not talking about retirement accounts and you have cash flow coming in on taxable side, uh, but you have some deductions coming in losses from the property, um, whatever it might be, uh, all of that income, the distributions get at, gets added to anything that comes out of your IRA or your 401k. Uh, that gets added to that total amount, uh, added up, and then you get taxed at that rate. Um, so that's why I honestly really like the Roth IRA at this point, we're at historically low tax rates. And so there's a very good chance that if you're earning at a higher rate later on, or if tax rates happen to go up at all, uh, you'll be, you won't have to pay taxes. It won't get added to your tax basis on the back end. Um, so Roths are, are really powerful for that reason. Cool. So with the, I, I, we've heard of this idea of I heard, I've heard of this idea of the Roth conversion where you can convert from a regular IRA to a Roth, um, you know, different, there's different uh, aspects of that, but kind of what are the rules around that? Um, you know, why would someone do a Roth conversion? And um, let's say you have a, a year with a lot of losses or you have a lot of depreciation and your, your taxable income is technically zero. Could you convert to a Roth at zero tax rate? You could, um, it would get, added into your tax, it would become, you know, taxable. If you have a losses to offset that, you can certainly do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a, a rollover from a, a traditional IRA into or conversion from a traditional IRA into a Roth is totally doable. Uh, as you mentioned, it gets added to your taxable amount. Um, but yeah, typically when you do that, there's one of two things happens. It either gets automatically converted um, on the back end by the actual custodian themselves or some of them like to send you a check and then you have to put it into a Roth IRA. If that happens, you should be aware, like you need to move that check within 60 days. If you hold on to it personally for more than 60 days, it, it's considered a, dist a full distribution and it's no longer a retirement account. Uh, but yeah, if you send it into the new institution or the same institution it came from and it goes directly into the Roth IRA, it's it's still, uh, it's a non-taxable, oh, it's taxable, but it, it sits within that retirement account. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I guess, is there a, a, a quantity limit to that? No, there's no, there's no quantity limit on the, the rollovers. Um, you should be aware that it, it as because it gets added to that year's taxable amount, if you've got $500,000 in a traditional fund and you want to move it into Roth, you're adding $500,000 to your income that year. So you might want to, there are strategies behind splitting it up over different tax years. That's something you should be aware of when you're doing it. Um, but yeah, no limit at all. Awesome. So the one, I guess the one uh, thing that comes up into a lot of conversations around retirement accounts and um, around investing in, in real estate through retirement accounts is this idea of UBIT. This, uh, this you know, it seems like this silent killer or the silent, uh, you know, scary, the scary thing that, gives people like, oh, I, I want to stay away from all this stuff because of this this um this problem. I don't know too much about it, so I would love to know what it is and why people are fearful of it and why maybe the fear is not as bad as as, as one should uh is one or it's not as bad as one might think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's this is sort of uh you described it well. I call it the boogeyman. Uh it's this this thing that hangs over the self-directed IRA industry that um I've kind of made my mission to to squash the the fear 
Um, so essentially what happens, this is a tax that actually gets incurred within an IRA. So if we take a self-directed IRA and we invest it into, let's say, a multifamily deal, in multifamily, we're using leverage to acquire these properties. So I'll give you an example. If we buy a property with 75% uh, LTV, we will be bringing in non-tax deferred dollars from a lender or a bank. So 75% of the funds to acquire the property are not coming from an IRA. And so 75% roughly that year of the income gets taxed. It's taxable, about 75% of it is. The nice part is that 75%, because it's not coming from uh, an IRA and it's not tax deferred in any way, it can also make use of depreciation, other expenses, any kind of losses, it can make use of them at about a 75% rate as well. So that really helps to offset things. Um, the, the the IRAs use a the trust tax table. There's two different, there's the ordinary income table and the capital gains table. Uh, the reason UBIT is considered to be this big scary monster is that the ordinary income table uh, for, uh, for trust, uh, it goes to 37%. And so everyone says, oh my God, you're going to get taxed at 37%. Uh, and they get really scared. Um, so when I was actually getting started, I heard all of this and I was I was worried and concerned. That's actually why I ended up doing private money lending because I needed time to study this and understand it before I got started. So I ended up building a calculator. It's the first of its kind that can actually calculate what the UBIT total will look like on a multifamily investment. And so what I found was there's enough losses when you're investing in multifamily to actually offset all of your cash flow, all of your ordinary income. I've never even seen on a multifamily property. I've never seen anybody actually touch that ordinary tax table at all. It stays at a 0% rate because you have the losses to offset. They get carried forward into the following years. And you typically are going to be seeing taxes uh, on the capital gains. Um, and so you're looking at like the time of a sale or a really big refinance. Um, that's when you'll see some UBIT come up. Um, overall, when I've ran hundreds and hundreds of deals through that calculator, I've seen that it roughly results in about a 12% tax rate. Um, but the nice thing is at that point, I've leveraged up my IRA. I've, I've gone from in the stock market, maybe 7% returns. I've gone to a multifamily 18 to 20% annualized returns after sale. And if I have to pay a 12% tax on that, it maybe drops down to 15 or 16%. So it's nothing that's fully detrimental to your investment. It allows you to actually leverage up. Uh, and I don't mind seeing that tax as a result, uh, as long as you plan for it ahead of time and, and mitigate it. Yeah. And it's lower than your income tax and your capital gains tax if you were to do it out of IRA as well. Um, and whether you're investing in stocks or real estate. Um, so yeah, awesome. Well, I guess the last question I have before we get to the lightning round is, um, you know, I, I mean, it's awesome that you have these resources as a as a GP on on multifamily deals, to, and definitely awesome that you know a lot about <laughs> this stuff because this is very. There's probably a lot of untapped potential because most people's investments and wealth are stored in IRAs, or a, a lot of that, if not the primary residence. So, um, the fact that you can help this process is really powerful. But I kind of want to know, as a GP, how did you use your expertise and your comfort with these ideas to facilitate the um, experience for investors? Yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting process, you know, um, because I come at it from, I'm also a limited partner. I, I understand what it's like to operate with these types of accounts. And there are some 
you know, just kind of uh, because you're moving between different institutions and you're dealing with um, a good amount of paperwork, there's some, um, you know, knowledge that you need. So I like to help my investors out, uh, having gone through this hundreds of times, understanding, you know, the the better ways to execute when they need to liquidate funds to move them between different banks, um, and just kind of navigating that space, navigating the the taxation space, and understanding how they can, uh, when you report your tax, you use a form called a 990T. So understanding how that's all um, used as well. Just trying to optimize them and then i use that ubit calculator that i had mentioned i use that to go out and find deals that minimize ubit so i'm looking for ubit optimized deals um, where you're going to be uh, hopefully below that 12 percent um, average that we've, we were talking about uh, and we're just looking to structure properties in certain ways that allow you to kind of best use your retirement dollars and leverage up um, your returns Awesome. Well, that's super powerful. And yeah, definitely there's a need in the market for people who are optimizing for, you know, I honestly, it's probably a huge need in the market given that mo a lot of people's wealth is in an IRA. So it's, uh, yeah, it's gr I'm glad to hear that you're optimizing for, for people's uh, maximum retirement <laughs> enjoyment. Yeah, there's $6 trillion in retirement accounts. So it's a big corner of the finance world. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. Um, ready for the lightning round? Yeah, absolutely. So what superpower would you want if you could have any superpower? Superpower. Um, I'll just go with focus. It could really help me. Yeah, I have a bit of an ADHD, so I would not mind the ability to, to really lock in on one topic, but uh, there's different ways around it. But yeah, I'd help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. So what's your favorite book or what's the one that helps you the most or has helped you the most? Um, yeah, so I... I read this book called Blue Ocean Strategy. Don't know if you've heard of this. Um, and it, what it does, I think it's yeah, Blue Ocean I think it's Strategy. Uh, the focus of it is essentially to find a corner of the market that is not even realized, doesn't exist. So the way they kind of describe it is if you're opening up another toothpaste brand, that, that you're not looking for new customers. You're not, you're targeting the exact same. It's a red market. Everybody is already targeting there's a lot of blood in the water everyone's targeting the same clients and so what a blue market would be is something like uh Cirque du Soleil so they're bringing in people from the circus market from the ballet um, from the opera markets people who are entertained by these different types of entertainment and they all come together in a new uh customer base and so it's a whole book strategizing on how you can find a customer base that is completely untapped and not at all um, arranged in, in one coherent product already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very powerful idea. And uh, definitely here, a lot of the most successful people, that's really what they what they did, you know, create a new solution for for an existing need. And um, that's that's powerful. So what motivates you to continue every day? Um, my daughter, I got a year and a half year old. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm doing everything I, I, um, I'm putting together here so that I can work from home so I can be there, watch her grow. And I have the opportunity to take time off and do anything that we want to do with the family. Um, basically I, I'm doing all of this for time freedom, the ability to choose what I want to do when I want to work, when I want to relax and spend time and focus with my family. Awesome. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Um, I, I think that the main thing that has helped me on my path was when I ended up focusing on one specific 
topic. Uh, when I first started and I was trying to figure out, hey, am I going to wholesale? Am, am I going to flip? I'm going to do all these different things. And when I finally honed in on multifamily and I focused on just one topic within it, that's when I really found um, a lot more expertise and drive within it. I could master it and get to 100% knowledge in one topic. And once I got there, I can move on to a second topic uh, and try to master that as well. Instead of doing five different things at a 70% level, uh, just focusing on one thing at a time has really helped me. Yeah, that's powerful. It's uh, it's hard, it's hard to implement as a college student when you got all these different, all these different things to balance. But um, yeah, I I see the power in it, and um, I guess even when I say real estate, that's not even narrow enough. You know, real estate it's so so broad. And there's so many opportunities, but it's great to have these this base of knowledge that I can then you know pick to focus on. So I, I really like that. So um, yeah, that's that's a powerful idea though. Um, well, since I put you on the spot, I'm gonna give you a chance for revenge. So what's one question you have for me? <laughs> um, what, uh, I'd say, um, what asset class do you want to be in, in five years from now? And I hate these five years questions, but like, what, what's the next asset class for you before, after the one you start with? Interesting. Um, I mean, I don't even know how to pick one. <laughs> I, so I guess I'll, I'll take this. I'll start with this. I love multifamily because there's increasing population not increasing globe size and everyone loves roofs over their heads. I don't know anyone who loves sleeping outside on, on the, on the ground. So um, given that and given that I'm 21 and I have a long investment horizon, I, I think multifamily is a great place to be very strong fundamentals and um, you know, always going to be a need. And, and uh, I think it's going to hedge inflation in the long run and it's going to be a great source of cash flow. Um, but if I'm going to be opportunistic as possible i would have to say senior living just given the next five years how many people how many people are aging into the need of this senior living there's a you know the podcast last week actually was all about this so anyone who's listened to both of these will will know but there's just so much um demand from baby boomers um growing older and uh, really hard to create new supply um and even if the staff from last week was even if we create 40 to fifty thousand units a year that we'd be by 2030, we'll still be one and a half million units short um, of senior housing for the demand that is expected and and you know we all see coming, you know, silver tsunami. So that's where I'd have to say. Yeah, that's my same answer. My story is multifamily senior housing, triple net leasing at the end. Um, I think it's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, from my from my uh, perspective, that's how I want my my life to, to like. That's how I want my like my estate planning or yeah, my, my journey through real estate to go. Eventually I want to 1031 into triple net lease and not think about it ever again. Um, yeah. Not ever again. I'm thinking about it all the time because I love it, but um, you know, let just de-risk and de-effort <laughs> into a bond wrapped in real estate. You could say. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I guess my next episode, I'm going to have someone come on to talk about triple net lease. So great. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I, I'll admit, I don't, I don't hate Wooten. A lot of my best friends go to Wooten and it's, it's a great, it is a great school and great people. And we live just down the road and I love all of my Potomac Rockville, Bethesda family. So, um, glad we got to connect and, uh, great, yeah. great to have, a uh, another, another native on the show. Yeah. It's good to meet you and good to, to talk with you about this topic. I love it.
Awesome. Well, what can people find out more if they want to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. Uh, if you want access to that UBIT calculator I was talking about, uh, you can run anything that you're currently doing with it, at least if it's you know multifamily or of the same um, style uh, in terms of a value-add proposition. You can download it at UBIT, U-B-I-T, calc.com. Uh, and there you can find some information about us and what we do and, and uh, run that calculator for yourself. Awesome. Sounds like a plan and that's definitely a powerful tool. So I, I recommend checking it out if you're ever investing with a retirement account. Um, great. Well, Josh, appreciate you having me on the show. Um, coming on the show today, learned a lot. And I'm sure everyone listening learned a lot. There's a lot to unpack, but um, appreciate you and keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones.